Hello, and welcome to the Built On Air podcast. Built On Air is a regular podcast where we talk with everyday people and learn about the amazing things they are doing with Airtable. Today's podcast is sponsored by OpenSide, the leading solutions provider for Airtable customers. Check out OpenSide.com to learn more about their products and services that can take your Airtable usage to the next level. Use promo code BUILTONAIR to receive $20 towards any product purchase. On today's episode, we speak with Bill French, technology innovator and entrepreneur. Bill founded Global Technologies Corporation in 1981, giving him over 30 years of experience in software products and services. You may recognize his name from the Airtable Community Forum, where he regularly shares his advice, professional insight, and tools he has built with Airtable. When a company using Airtable reached out for Bill's help in 2016, he was quickly compelled by the product's logical and sleek design. He could see the value that a, quote, no-code environment provides users. However, Bill also expertly points out that no-code is also code for potentially limiting, which is where he comes in. When it comes to adding new features, Bill often tells his clients to think about adding plumbing rather than a second kitchen sink. He thoughtfully applies this to Airtable's new scripting block. If Airtable is a kitchen sink, the scripting block is new plumbing, allowing us to build what we want. We discuss the block at length and get to see some of the awesome things he has built with it. Bill shows us a few scripts he has written for the new block, complete with many tips and tricks. He demonstrates block chaining in which he is able to run one block after another. Check out the show notes for a link to the post that Bill wrote about this. He also shows us Dot. Dot is a program he wrote in the scripting block, which he calls a tribute to an early program called DBase. DBase was navigated by a Dot prompt line. Dot allows Bill to drill down into his tables and sift through his data in more advanced and exciting ways. Good afternoon, Bill. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's great to be here. Thanks, Ali. Excellent. So I thought we'd just start a little bit with your background. Um, You have a lot of experience in technology, and I'm interested to hear about how you got started um, in the industry. Yeah, so, um, you know, my work in databases, specifically consumer-level databases, if there is such a category, goes all the way back to 1979 when I met an individual at JPL in, um, in Pasadena, um, a guy who was building a database to track, I think, a football pool, a betting pool. And the name of it was Vulcan. And so this is roughly 1979, 1980 timeframe. Mm-hmm. And Vulcan eventually became DBase 2. Okay. And DBase 2 eventually became DBase 3 and 4. And then it was acquired by Borland in the late 80s. It was a competitor to Microsoft Access. Mm-hmm. And so the Borland guys and the Microsoft guys were always battling it out, you know, for the desktop database world. And then that kind of merged into compilers for Clipper and uh, various um, systems that you know, we're intended to make it more enterprise-like. And so I have this really long history. Uh, I'm really old, um, so I might add that. But I have this long history in the computing industry of watching and seeing how individuals can use their domain expertise. They're just business people trying to get their job done, trying to go home at night to their families, trying to make code work for them, and trying to use data. And in that process over the last 30 or 40 years, I've been able to figure out what sticks, you know, what's good about these kind of database environments. And so when I discovered Airtable, I think it was 2016, 2017 timeframe, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I was very compelled by it because obviously we all are. Um, we kind of love Airtable because it has this unique and compelling interface. It's simple. It seems straightforward. It seems logical. Uh, although, you know, we can all point to cases where the logic escapes us, right? And we're not like, why did they do it that way? But there's typically reasons. And so that's kind of the history. I found it while I was working on a project um, for a Los Angeles area transit group who was playing with their table at the time and they wanted alerting notifications about bus failures on their transit routes to come into Airtable. Mm-hmm. And so that led me very quickly to understand what is the Airtable API like? How does it work? Can we use uh, Airtable with SMS messaging? Uh, things like that. And so that that's how I kind of tripped and fell into this swamp. <laughs> Excellent. And and was it a swamp that you liked at first or were you hesitant at all? I was hesitant um, because, you know, the forums showed me a lot of cases where people were asking for features mm-hmm. and they had gone unmet for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And so I was a bit hesitant about it, uh, as was the transit district um, in that L.A. area. You know, they kind of liked it because their dispatch people could use it really effectively and they could get their, their work done. So it was really appealing to the domain, domain experts. And I, a domain expert is simply somebody who does a job and they know their job well <laughs> and they ask IT for support, but they don't get it, right? They, IT just passes them over and say, oh yeah, that's a $5,000 project. It's going to take 18 months to build and we don't have the budget and the way it goes. And so that's what compels a lot of people to just latch on to Airtable and they get it done themselves. And so that, I think that happens a lot. Exactly. I think you're completely right. It kind of gives uh, the power to those people that wouldn't ordinarily have it or be able to um, learn as fast as they would like to in an environment like that. It's definitely right. very intuitive. Right. So that's how I kind of got swept up into this. Um, you know, I think a lot of people get into Airtable for a variety of reasons, but I kind of let customers tell me why this is important. And I think that's really helped me a lot in my work with it. Absolutely. And, and have you seen since then, have, you, have a lot of customers been coming to you with Airtable or are you now kind of pitching it as maybe a solution for the problem that they're trying to solve? It's a little bit of both. Um, I, I think I get customers that come to me that have hit a ceiling, right? They've, they've done something with Airtable and they love it. Mm-hmm. And then they realize, oh, I got to integrate this with something that's far more difficult than over their head. And so then they reach out to me. So I think, uh, you know, in a, in a business sense, I spend most of my time in the world of integration. Um, that's kind of my day job as well. Mm-hmm. Um, my day job is involves data science and uh, allowing people to connect data and events and real-time information to decision-making processes. And so uh, in that, uh, I've become fairly adept at figuring out how to make Airtable work really well in the context of connectivity to other systems or other environments where data is also moving about. Uh, Airtable is not the be-all and end-all of, of any data solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, for that domain expert who believes, oh, I can if I can just get this report to run right, I can do my job better and I can get out of here at 5.30 instead of 9.30. And those are the kind of things I think that compel a lot of people to go into this. And my work has come from two other slices as well. We see a lot of people that are using, you know, great products like Zapier and uh, Integromat, 
-hmm. And they hit ceilings on those as well because those products, you know, are not designed, they're, they're quote, code free. Mm -hmm. And eventually you hit that point where you start to wonder, well, do I need to code in this code free database? Which, you know, to me is, it's kind of like code free is code for potentially limiting. And we all see the limitations of Airtable. And so those are some of the ways that people, you know, tend to find me. Absolutely. And so, so you're, when, you're, when you talk about integration, these are like direct API calls that you're setting up yourself. You're not using Zapier and Integromat. You're actually... Th that's correct. Um, you know, I, I don't want to say anything bad about those environments because I think at the heart of those tools is where uh, regular everyday people can innovate. And I think innovation thrives in that environment because it allows, again, the domain expert, the person who is an expert about their work, um, to glue things together. <laughs> yeah. exactly. Sometimes it's duct tape, <laughs> right? And it peels off in the sun or in the rain. But for the most part, it gives them, it establishes for them a pattern of success. And those patterns of success validate and prove bigger and better ideas. Um, so I tend not to go into that realm because, frankly, I'm not that good at it. Uh, it, it takes a lot of effort and a lot of skill to get Zapier to run well, mm -hmm. right? It, it, it's like, well, you got to know both of those platforms really well in order to do that well. Absolutely. Right? And so there are experts that do that, and I'm always referring to experts on the forum you know, <laughs> to say, hey, go, go talk to this guy. He's done this before. He's the guy you really want. But no, I, I think they play a really key role in helping us understand what types of integration should we spend more money on, right? That, that's a key question, I think, that a lot of businesses have. You know, should I dump a ton of money into this, hardening it and making it work at scale, or should I first experiment with it? I think the answer is first experiment. Get it right, because now you have a pattern for success. Once you have the success pattern, then you know that you should move forward with a deeper potentially more reliant integration and things like that. So, so now that your, your clients have brought you to Airtable, you've kind of played around with it. You've definitely made a name for yourself in the community. Absolutely. And that was not intentional. <laughs> <laughs> and I apologize to everyone at Airtable and to you and everyone else who I've been very harsh with from time to time. <laughs> I think I, I appreciate your advice. Well, you know, I, I like to call them as I see them. And if somebody is doing something goofy, I like to say, hey, that's goofy. Have you thought about something less goofy? Right. <laughs> so I, I, I'm okay if you guys are okay, but I'm going uh, to pretty much say it like it is. Um, <laughs> you know, partly because, well, I'm old and I'm cranky sometimes. And, <laughs> you know, I, I see people doing things that, you know, I advised against in 1995. Mm -hmm. and you know, I said, no, this is going to end badly. And they argue with me, right? They'll argue <laughs> for a long time. They'll say, oh, no, this is not going to end badly because I know better. So, okay, great. Well, I've seen this story before and it ended badly. <laughs> yeah, and I'm just trying to help you not have a bad ending. So anyway, I am vocal about that. I'm very vocal about um, creating features in products yes. that um, tend to bloat the product. Uh, a good example is the split function. I see all sorts of people saying, I need this kind of a parser and I need that kind of a parser. And if you add up all the different features that people have asked for 
that are fundamentally at, at their core concerned about uh, understanding content better, like parsing a string and trying to tease out the data. Mm-hmm. Those are not features. The feature is split. Right. Because split makes all of those features possible. And so I really encourage a lot of people to think twice about saying, you know what, I need another kitchen sink. (laughs) Don't do that. Try to resist adding kitchen sinks. Add plumbing so that anybody can build their own design of a kitchen sink. Exactly. That's really, I think, the right way to do it. I agree. And, and I think that Airtable seems like they're making a lot of steps towards that with this new scripting block, because now we can, create, we can split strings, we can create arrays within that block. But if they had any like more advanced array functions within Airtable itself, that would be yes. amazing. Like yes. what they do have in Coda, like the sequence and formula map functions. Yes, um, yes. those are, those are um, what I call core functions that help you help yourself mm-hmm. as opposed to relying on a developer over their table to help you help yourself. Right. Right. They, if you lean on them too much, you will break them and they're developers. They're ordinary people just like we are. Mm-hmm. And they have a ceiling of tolerance for building stuff. And so if you, if you can encourage them to give you the things you need to help yourself, you have a much better chance of sustaining this product over a very long life, life cycle. Very so, yeah, I, I totally uh, approve of the idea of encouraging these teams. And you'll see me defend these teams often, mm-hmm. right? I will push back and say, no, you're asking this company to do the wrong thing. Ask them mm-hmm. to do the right thing, And right? right? It, you need to be res- a responsible citizen using data and servers and your architecture matters. Do not depend on them to make your life better. Ask them to help you make your life better. That's a very different philosophy. Absolutely. Absolutely. So speaking of that scripting block, I am very eager to dive into this with you. Um, So I'd love to hear about what you've done with it so far. Um, Do you have any thoughts, pros, cons? Yeah. So in, in 2017, when I got kind of sucked into this little swamp, (laughs) Um, the first thing I noticed was there was no integrated scripting capability. Everything, all script had to exist outside of Airtable. Um, fundamentally that was kind of a showstopper for me because I thought, well, you know, if you had an integrated scripting environment, at the very least you could solve some problems on your own without bugging the development team. They had much bigger fish to fry. Mm -hmm. And so the only comments I could give at an architectural level is to say that any product, anything you're building think of three very key things. Number one, an API. And they kind of had that in place. So, you know, I gave them a C plus for that. It was limiting. There were some problems. Uh, it had performance uh, ceilings and things like that. But overall, pretty good. Mm-hmm. So C plus, maybe a B minus. I don't know, somewhere in there. This is back in 2017, of course. It's much improved since then. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing that you want to think about is an integrated scripting environment because an integrated scripting environment gives you the ability to spackle in some of the holes that you poked when you weren't paying attention with your hammer, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so you start to dig little trenches everywhere on your, you know, you cut corners, you create some debt, data debt, I like to call it. Mm-hmm. It's an architecture in there that causes you to create field after field after field because you're manufacturing, you know, a quasi split function to tease <laughs> data out. And yeah. before you know it, you have 220 fields 
uh, most of which are hidden, right? right? And so that's a red flag. And then the third thing that's really important in that architecture is having a model in the scripting environment that gives you instant access to the data. Mm-hmm. And wow, these guys at Airtable, A+. Plus. Yes. Perfect implementation because I don't know if you saw some of my posts where I said, I'm a little concerned about reading all this data into memory when it already exists in the UI. So are we reading it again into memory and we're soaking up a lot of cycles in the browser and things like that? And it turns out we're not. Um, they've managed memory really, really well. And so the script blocks are extremely efficient. I think I even I even did a, I spent a weekend just doing benchmarks on how to read data and write data and how would that impact, you know, performance. And I was very impressed. I think I think I wrote about it and said, uh, the script block is stupid fast. I did. I read that, yes. Right. I mean, that comes out of the NASCAR world. You know, the NASCAR guys are always saying that this car is stupid fast, meaning it is so fast, a stupid person could kill themselves with it. Now, air. <laughs> Airtable and, and script blocks, you can't really kill yourself with it, but it is stupid fast. I mean, that, that thing just, it goes blistering fast through 20, 25,000 records with, without breaking a sweat. So that was pretty cool. Um, it, I found it really ironic when the script block came out, but I was two thumbs up on this, by the way. I hammered on them. I said, you cannot move this product ahead without integrated scripting. And sure enough, they came out with it. This is wonderful. I see the irony in that they're advertised fundamentally as a code-free environment, and yet here we are getting all excited about code. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, well, which is it? (laughs) True. Right? Right? So I don't know how you deal with that at a marketing level, but the irony and the humor that is exposed from that, um, I, you know, just, I find things humorous all the time, and that seems to be a pretty big one. Um, But we all know that, you you know, the concept of code-free is literally code for potentially limiting, right? right? It's, it's like, hey, I got a code-free environment. Oh, okay, then you got an environment that can't do shit. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's yeah. pretty much what you're saying, right? And you know, in many cases, that is true because it, it's a balancing act, right? The less code required, probably the less capabilities that somebody else has envisioned as possible. Uh, I don't know if I answered your question, but uh, I may be off track. I, I, in fact, I advised him here, we're going to drift. I just know we're going to drift. That is quite all right. No, that, that's perfect. And I'm really just interested in how you, um, like what your opinion is about it. It sounds like you really like it. Love um, it. Awesome. I agree. I think it opens up a lot of doors. And I think your, your point about it being code for a no-code environment is ironic and interesting at the same time. But um, I think it's great because it kind of opens up that door for people like you or I who are able to use it and create more solutions for our clients or people that might need help on the forum versus anybody else that can just pick it up and use it without even knowing that it exists. That, that is absolutely right. It, it falls into that category where I said, give us something so we can help ourselves. Yes. And by ourselves, I mean our customers, our clients, our friends, whoever it might be. Right. And it, it literally turns a spigot on that says, hey, you can get really creative and innovative if you know a little bit about JavaScript. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's still some really great things that are missing, <laughs> right? Um, but I think those will come over time. Uh, somebody was complaining about the script block the other day on the forum, and I said, hey, this isn't even an adolescent yet. Can you, if you have kids, 
you know how poorly an adolescent behaves. Well, this is a toddler. Yeah. This is a toddler with a runny nose and teething. <laughs> so, exactly. right? So don't get so bent out of shape about script block if it doesn't do exactly what you want or it's not deployable in a manner that you think is right. Right. So that's, that's my advice. Be, be kind, be gentle. These guys at Airtable have opened up a really large uh, capacity. Mm-hmm. And yes, there are limitations, but I suspect they're limitations because they know that a real clown <laughs> with their hands on scripting can take a server down if you don't limit them. Yeah, right? exactly. Yes. Right? So you can inject uh, any kind of security problems if that code is not sanitized. So a lot of people say, well, why can't I get at the DOM, you know, the do- document object model in Airtable from the script block? Well, there's a really good reason. It could create security nightmares. It would be chaos. It would be worse than the ending of Ghostbusters. <laughs> yes. I see your point. Absolutely. Right. It, it's just total, cats and dogs living together. All right. The, the minute you try to give everybody an unsanitized um, code access. So I, I have a lot of sympathy for those guys at their table. They had to make some tough choices. And I think they made the right one. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm super excited about it. And and as you said, it does come with some limitations. I think the one that is most important to me is, as we discussed briefly before we started recording, about uh, running automatically and being able to have it watch for new rows and make those changes uh, dynamically. Right. That's, that would be, <clears throat> that's really the reason, most of the reason why I would want to use a script would be to you know, maintain linking relationships that I don't necessarily want to train somebody to do every time. That's um, correct. Right. You want to take the human element out of the process so that it's more reliant. Um, It's a sustainable model as soon as script can say, oh, I'm going to wake up and run this for you. And and away it goes. Now, I got to believe that the guys at Airtable have already thought about this. They They probably have a cron framework already built, ready to go. Mm -hmm. And it's simply a matter of time before they expose the ability for script blocks to become these things that wake up and run in the background, even when your browser is closed. Right. Uh, today, you can run them constantly, but it will eat um, memory. I've seen the memory spike come up. You know, if, if I leave a couple of these examples that I'll show here running too long, I can hear my fan in my Mac start to spool oh up. Yeah. yeah, I have an old Mac, it's like 2015 or whatever. Anyway, so yeah, it will, it's an iMac and it, it, I think it does have a fan in it. So I can actually hear the fan, which means that CPU is crunching even though I'm not doing anything in that and it's not actually running any data, it's just a loop in the script block. So yeah, there's some issues there and I think a cron process will help. I'm looking forward to the day when you can simply create a new formula based on a script block. Ooh, like functions, like create your own functions to use within, oh my gosh, that's such a great idea. It's a novel approach. It's an idea that should say, hey, I'm going to create a script block and I'm going to have a little tiny toggle there that says publish this as a formula. Yeah. And now I go into a field and I say, oh, I'm doing something with this formula field and I want to use a forecasting formula that's based on the uh, some of the least squares. Some kind of algorithm that is JavaScript-based, right. not available in Airtable itself as a formula. You couldn't do it with all the different functions in Airtable, but you could go to JavaScript and say, I'm going to create a custom you know, a machine learning function 
-hmm. and I'm going to apply that code in this formula. Right. And that should be a seamless kind of opportunity for Airtable to say, yeah, we have 200 formulas, and then we have another gazillion formulas that you can make up. That's awesome. I think right? that's All amazing. integrated, right? Nobody yeah. has to think about it. They just do a little toggle in the script lock that says publish this you know, to me as a formula or publish this to everybody who's on this base as right. a formula they can use. Very powerful. You get Absolutely. There. Yeah. That's yeah. a brilliant idea. That would be great. It would. It would. And I, I got to believe those guys at Airtable have thought about this. I don't think, I don't think, you know, this is not rocket science that I'm coming up with. It's simply me looking at the historical perspective of these products and saying, yeah, that is where you want to take that design. Right. It's really, it's a component level design and you're saying publish this now so that anybody can use it without knowing the insides of that black box. That right. makes total sense to me. So. Agreed. Absolutely. Um, so you had mentioned, I'm going to shift gears just a little bit because something I'm really intrigued that I know you've talked about is uh, data visualization. And are you doing any data visualization with stuff out of Airtable for your clients? Are you sending it to become a graph somewhere? Um, I find that really yes. interesting. Yeah, I, I do a fair amount of that. Um, and all of it is based on the API, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, this is another thing that I kind of, I, I may have mentioned this in the forum and debated the idea that blocks, custom blocks, or any kind of blocks built for data visualization was a bad idea. Mm -hmm. um, so I think they're already off the rails on that. <clears throat> the world of data visualization is so massive mm -hmm. that no vendor who is good at data is going to get it the way you want it. Right. Not a single one. We see all the complaints about charts and the chart block mm -hmm. in there. Mm -hmm. It has this ceiling. It has that ceiling. It has this limitation. What we don't hear is all the people that are totally satisfied with it. <laughs> Nobody jumps in and says, wow, I love it. Have a good day. Right. Yeah. We only hear the bad stuff. So mm -hmm. it is biased in that sense. But if you look at the world of data visualizations, you go to D3 or any of these other data visualization libraries, and you look at the possibilities, sand key charts, all of the different ways to visualize data and data science, the last thing you want to do is use, and, and I'll ding Airtable right along with Coda. I have beaten up those Coda guys because they have another kind of a, it's chart blocks. Right. And they're limited and they're ugly and they have no, they have no capacity for customization. Right. So how do you get around this? And I think the right way to do it is to create script blocks that allow you to integrate data visualization libraries into the block. Right. As opposed to saying, no, I'm the block, right? The rest of the world and all the research that went on heretofore concerning charts and tables and visualizations, none of that matters. My block matters. That's hubris. That's a that's like you trying to add a kitchen sink. Get rid of the kitchen sink. <laughs> Allow people to build their own kitchen sink in there using whatever tables and libraries that exist out there. So with that said, my clients always come to me if it's concerning a data visualization issue. They come to me saying, make my script block go away and give me all these other, or make my chart block go away, give me all these other uh, data visualization capabilities. Mm -hmm. So it's totally outside the world of, of Airtable. And typically I do that in Python because mm -hmm. Python is really the language of data science. Mm -hmm. And Python gives us the ability 
to consume vast amounts of Airtable data. And I might also add that most real data science work doesn't include just Airtable. It includes data from Firebase or data from you know, uh, S3 data storage and all sorts of other sources. So the world of data science is about bringing together the concept of big data, or they call it big data, but it's really just data. It's data from many different sources that are filtered to produce a good view. And that's really how I've, how I've approached it. Um, so yeah, that's a ding against Airtable. Don't try to be the charting world uh, king. You're, you're not even going to be a pawn in that game. So don't even try. Facilitate it. Don't build it. That's, that's my, my advice. I would agree. I think, I think that I do find the chart block to be very limiting. And there's no way to... What I like about the page designer block is how you can kind of flip through and by record by record. Yeah. If you could do something similar like that with the charts, you know, you have a chart for each record. Yeah. Be able to, right now you have to actually manipulate the view that it's pointing at to be able to right. change what's displayed right. at all, which is right. not ideal. Right. And, and you've seen in many spreadsheets even, mm -hmm. I think uh, Excel does this pretty well. They'll allow you to chart. Um, you know, create, uh, what do they call them? There's a little tiny um, indicators of um, like a little line chart as almost size of a button. Uh, th there's a name for it. It, it escapes me right now. It, well, it could be a histogram in a, almost down in a button size thing where a oh. little tiny thing and it's on every record and it's showing you the history of that record over time. I see. Right. So it's using the versions of the, that record as it changed you know, stock, stock price for that stock go up or down. And so you're aggregating a history of data into a single little, uh, I can't, can't remember the name of it, but they, they have a perfect name for that little type of chart. And those would be very helpful. And your design, your idea certainly would be well received by a very small percentage of Airtable <laughs> users. Yes. And that, that's why I say you're going to piss somebody off if you <laughs> try to do it poorly, <laughs> right? If you don't do it real well, 75% of the audience is going to be disappointed and 25% are going to be like enamored with it. And so that's why I think it really makes a lot of sense to pour your investment into the idea that, yeah, we don't care what, you know, charting environment you use, just pick one and start using it right. and then make the integration methodology very easy. Yes. Right. So that ordinary everyday people could wire these things together, uh, you know, without hiring coders and things like that. So that makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Um, so while we're on the topic of blocks, I have not gotten to play with this at all, but uh, just yesterday and today, there was a newsletter that went out about six new blocks that came out, one of which being uh, a schema generator that visualizes yep. the data that the structure of your linking relationships. What are your thoughts on that? Have you played with it at all? Yes, I have. In fact, I recommended it to a client um, up in Chicago because they have. Um, I, I don't know if I can say this on the air, but they have a little bit of a shit show going on. And it's, you know, it, it's what happens in Airtable when four or five people get together and they just start hammering together data mm -hmm. and relationships and things like that. You end up with this massive kind of convoluted thing and you try to get your hands around it. And so the ability to use the schema to understand, well, how does this visually lay out becomes scary. And um, over at uh, Streamit, where I do a lot of work on uh, AI, we have a model, an AI model that will look at a, a graph or any kind of chart 
especially a flow diagram, mm -hmm. and it will give us an indicator of how complex that system is. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's kind of cool stuff. It's like, and this is not anything that we developed. We use it internally. It's, some, it's in open source. And the AI model is presented with an image. And the question is, how complex is this? And the rankings are zero to one. And so it's, it's a decimal value. Uh -huh. And this one client um, who showed it to me, I quickly ran it through our AI model and it came back 0.97001. Oh my goodness. Right, which is like, dude. <laughs> Very complex. <laughs> somebody, somebody has to uh, get off the caffeine. <laughs> you got to dial this back and reevaluate all your relationships. And so it's an indicator that there's circular references going on in the data tables mm -hmm. and that there are dependencies that probably are going to be very difficult to follow. Right. And we've seen it. I mean, I'm guilty as much as anybody of doing this. Me too. Uh, we, we cut corners. And we create what I call co uh, data debt, which is mm -hmm. similar to code debt. They run in parallel. And you have to pay that data debt back someday, either by killing the project altogether, in which case there's no debt, <laughs> <laughs> or, <laughs> or you have to slowly chip away at that data debt. Otherwise, it will eat you alive. The interest payments on data debt are very high. Agreed. I more often than not, I especially if I've you know put a project down for a while and I'm picking it back up again. I'm like, yeah. why did I do it this way? Where I have right. to follow my my yeah. steps backwards again? And and right, it's I have many times said, did I design this while I was drunk? <laughs> <laughs> so oh we're we're all guilty of it. I mean, yeah. this is a problem in computer science, and I think it started you know probably back in the days of the abacus. Right. And, you know, yeah. people were arguing, no, those beads should be three beads on the left. And uh, <laughs> we got it wrong. And so we went back and we kind of rebuilt stuff. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think tools like that from Airtable are very helpful. Yes. And I've always admonished them for not including the uh, schema in the API to begin with, because that's severely limiting. That was the only reason I gave them a lot of dings on, on the API early on. But that's fixed. So, hey, this is good. This is really good news. That is wonderful. And I'm super excited to try out that block. That's something I think I've actually even mentioned on the podcast several times that I wish yes. they would come out with a block that did that. And I'm yes. so excited. And, and there it is. And, and now you're going to fear running it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So just predicting that. Uh, some people are going to say, oh, this is really cool. Uh, I've run it a couple of times and you know, my system yeah. looks like crap. Right. Like, <laughs> right? I don't so, want to. So, yeah. So it, it's like, uh, here's a, a hit list of things you want to fix. But yet, you know, in a complex system, you want to see these kinds of visualizations. Now, I told the client to take that image. It was so tiny because they had so many fields and tables mm -hmm. that you couldn't almost read it with the graph. I said, you need to blow that up to be six by nine. And he goes, six by nine inches isn't going to give us much. And I said, no, I mean six by nine feet. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> right. Six by nine feet and paste that on the wall and then tell everyone that you understand it <laughs> <laughs> because you created it. They'll think that you're a genius. So, oh my goodness. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I think it's just a wonderful tool. I'm glad they came out with it. So yeah, two thumbs up on that. It's going to give us good intelligence on that which we're modeling or failing to model well. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So. No, that's perfect. All right. I think it might be a great time if you want to share your screen. I'm super excited go. to see what you've been working on. 
And one thing I noticed, you'd sent me a screenshot that I found really interesting. You used the embed block to display a, kind of a program that you had already written, but you're embedding it within a block. Yeah, so um, I think the one that you're referring to is, uh, was Airborne? Uh, yeah. A search, yeah. So I do a lot of search uh, systems, and one client out of New Jersey uh, specifically asked me, could you create you know, a full-text index search? And as you know, Airtable has a search feature, but it's not a full-text index. It's literally, here's a word, go find that word kind of thing. And that's kind of interesting. I mean, it's, it's very useful in that sense, um, but it doesn't give you the ability to do two things. Number one, uh, look for ors and ands, or a Boolean search, right, about the criteria. And it also doesn't give you the ability to um, rank anything, right? And so ranking to me, if you have a search system and you don't perform ranking, then you really don't have a search system <laughs> because it, relevance is so critical. Google taught us this in 1997, and we have not forgotten that lesson. When we search, we need relevance. And so uh, mention of a word in a table name uh, should be ranked a little bit higher than the mention of that word in a tag field. Airborne was built, and there is a link, I think, in the show notes. Um, it's right here where I said, search is not so simple. Here's why. And so there's an entire white paper on what I did with Airborne. And I wanted it to run inside the context of Airtable because with it, I was able to put the search results not in the block, but in the adjacent table. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of kind of important because Oftentimes you're searching for data, you want it to be data when you're done so that you can do other things like filter on it or do some computations on fields that you ordinarily wouldn't do had you not find, found that data set. Right. And so um, there's a lot of nuances about that. And that's why I said, okay, well, it's a web app, but it needs to run in a block because I don't have access to build custom blocks. Otherwise, I would probably build it as a custom block. And who knows, Airborne may come out as a custom block because now. I do have access to build <laughs> custom blocks. So that's good. That's, that's an important step. It's going to take some time, though, because custom blocks are not as easy to deal with as script blocks. Mm -hmm. um, it's a true full development environment, so you have to be you know, very diligent about that. But in terms of search, one thing that I saw within Airtable was you know, it, it really didn't do a whole lot, and there were a lot of complaints. You can't, cross, um, you can't easily cross bases or workspaces. So imagine a search index that crossed bases as well as workspaces. Mm -hmm. So multiple different workspaces could have a search index that would allow you to go to any of these workspaces and find data that you're looking for or find all the relevances between them. But it's not easy because think about the, you know, just the security issues that go on. Yes, the index found all this information, but are you allowed to actually see it, right? And so just finding the reference to uh, employee layoff somewhere would be cause for, you know, some kind of a security breach. Mm -hmm. um, and so typically people blame Airtable for not having a good search. And I'm kind of a defender uh, of Airtable in that sense, in that search is not easy. And I've seen comments on the forum where, you know, people will just say, wow, you know, how hard can it be? It's just search. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard. It's very hard. And yeah. in fact, it's probably far more hard than you could even imagine. And so my white paper kind of goes into that, and it covers a lot of the reasons why search is a tough 
place to to get into there. And then there's, you know, the other big question, you know, even if you could air index all Airtable data, where would you put it? That you would feel comfortable because now you have pointers into everything in your information set. So this is a huge security challenge as well. Um, but we underestimate these things because we think, oh, you know, Google made it easy. Yeah, <laughs> they did to a point. And I'm sure those PhDs, 17 PhDs came up with how Google algorithms work. I'm sure they thought it was easy too, in that it took them 11 years to get it right. right. So yeah, no, it's not easy. Anyway, see, I think you had another question beyond, you know, doing that using a script or using a block, an embed block to map in um, web applications. That's difficult. It's uh, kind of convoluted. Uh, it does work and it does allow you some latitude to do things, but there's also, there's a disconnect, right? right? You've got a block running a web app that's over here and the web app has no concept whatsoever about what's in frame. Right. It doesn't see the data there and there's no web interface to the data that you see in the same browser. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's a total showstopper for me. It's, you know, that's why I call Airborne a research project. Uh, it, it's not ready for prime time. I have installed it on four client environments so far. Every one of them is a one-off for that particular client. And so, you know, it, it's good stuff, good code, gives them really powerful features, mm -hmm. but um, it's, a, it's costly to implement and it's not the, the most ideal place to do it. Now, when you get into script blocks, of course, script blocks see everything that's in frame. Yes. Huge advantage, huge advantage there. In fact, maybe somebody should build a search engine in a script block. Mm -hmm. It could be done. Absolutely. Okay, so um, we got past that. Uh, so why do script blocks matter? Uh, you know, uh, we kind of talked about a few of them, but here's some points to think about. A script block can be an intelligence proxy, right? So it's somebody who says, like you said earlier, there's something I'd like the script block to do. Just keep it maintained on a regular basis because I don't want users having to remember how to do this. Right. What you're doing is, is wrapping that business logic in a script so that regular people who are just trying to get their data job done can benefit from that logic. And you can deploy it into a script block, run it, and it will run the same way every time. So that's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. Process automation, we've talked about that. Overcoming limitations, huge opportunity to overcome limitations in, in Airtable. For example, search and replace. You can build every manner of search and replace using a script block. You mm -hmm. have to be very careful, you know, about how you do it yeah. um, because you can screw up your data. <laughs> easily. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. easily, very, very. easily. Yeah. Uh, this is why I think uh, I created one called, it's not featured in today's podcast, but if you look for, uh, I think it's Field Tweaker. Mm -hmm. There's a perfect example of why coders shouldn't name things, <laughs> right? A marketing guy would look at that and go, oh, Bill, you screwed that up. Field <laughs> Tweaker? Yeah, it has it has drug inf inferences. It, <laughs> it's got it's got all kinds of problems with that name. But anyway, it's called Field Tweaker, and in Field Tweaker, I give you a grid of the likely changes it's going to make, mm -hmm. and then a button that says, "Are you sure?" <laughs> <laughs> right before it applies it. So you know, I tried to you know to do a well-intentioned uh, out outcome on that. Um, but here's another cool thing. Uh, because the data is so readily available to script blocks, you have opportunities to blend those two worlds like never before. And I think that's where a lot of innovation is going to occur. Um, here's a good example. We'll switch over to this thing I called uh, answer machines. 
see if I can find it here. And it, it kind of falls under, actually, I'm going to first show you where I wrote about it, okay? Here mm -hmm. on the forum, I wrote about it, blockchaining, uh, which is not to be confused with blockchain, which is the, you know, the, um, the entire alternative money kind of approach mm -hmm. uh, or, or the technology behind uh, alternative currencies. Uh, blockchaining is a little bit different. Imagine you have a block and you want to run it and then run another block. Right. And then continue that process and then maybe run a third, a fourth, a fifth block. And so I wrote about this idea behind blockchaining. And I actually give an example here uh, in this particular example. Is that large enough? You can see that all right? Certainly. Good, good. So I have a table. It's just called, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. Right. And in it, you can see it's got these steps. And then down here, I'll, I'll widen this a little bit so you can see. There's your happiness assessment is complete. So I've got these three steps and a happiness assessment uh, mm -hmm. as the final uh, step. And here I've got questions. Are you happy? Is it a nice day? Are you looking forward to the weekend? Right. And then a column for answers. And you can see how I answered this recently. And then over here, a really interesting field, which we won't discover just yet. I'm going to um, stop this and rerun it. And the first thing I'm going to do is pick the table. How are you doing? Okay. And so how are you doing is literally this table. And when I select it, it's going to run. And you notice it emptied the answers. Mm -hmm. And now it's asking me, how am I doing? I'm going to say, yes. Uh, is it a nice day? No, it's very rainy here today. I am looking forward to the weekend because it is Friday. Right. Despite the fact that it's the 13th, we'll get through it. We will. And I answer yes. And now it says, um, it appears you are 66% happy today. All right. All right. So that's so dreadfully simple, boring. <laughs> I hope listeners aren't yawning right now. But building a little script block to do that would be quite easy to do, as you know. Mm -hmm. It's just a collection of questions with answers. But what if none of the code that we just ran was in the script block? <laughs> so oh, let's go over here and look I... at this guy. There's the code. <laughs> I like it. Cool. Yeah. It's kind of interesting because what you're doing is you're blending. And I think I had a bullet point in the previous, um, over in the show notes, where I said, hey, uh, the the juxtaposition of data and code are really important. Uh, I don't think we're really given that as much credit as we might ought to, because mm -hmm. it gives us the ability to abstract code as data. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Airtable is phenomenal with storing strings. Mm -hmm. And in this case, this is a long string field. And I literally could write into this code my script block questions as data and then run them as separate blocks. Right. And so one must then ask, well, uh, what happens when you get to the end of the process? Well, it gets a little more complex, right? Because you want to take the array of answers that you grabbed along mm -hmm. the way. Mm -hmm. What that means is that array has to be scoped at the blockchain level. Right. So, you know, it's a sustained array. You're building up answers as you go. And eventually you get down to the end and you say, oh, well, let's take the array, loop through it, find out how many are yes, mm -hmm. apply a score of one to those with yes, and then let's compute uh, a happiness score right here. And then let's wrap it up. You know, it's a wrap. We're finished. Thanks for running it. And we display it over here. And so this little block, if you edit this block, is very simple. You'll see there's no questions in here. Right. Um, it's 112 lines of 
pure magic. <laughs> so and, and there's one specific line that's true magic that took me many, many hours to figure out. And it's the one that actually executes. Can I move? I can't move that, can I? This little guy is how we eval the script coming from the data set. Oh. I'm not even going to begin to explain that because we're trying not, we're trying to keep this light. It's Friday. <laughs> you know, we don't want to get too techy on this. This is probably good for a Monday morning, but this is a brain teaser because it has to sustain the, as I said, it has to sustain the scope between all the different evaluations of the block. Now, technically, this is not one block running many blocks. It's one block evaluating many blocks. And there's a difference, right? So at the end of this block, it doesn't call another block. There's no facility in Airtable to do that. And that was one of the things that came to mind when a client said, hey, I need to walk somebody through a series of steps to answer a bunch of questions, and I need to have a very easy ability to change it frequently right. and also reorder it. Because remember, now that we have this as data, mm -hmm. how hard is it to move step one to step three? Right. And vice versa. So we now have a framework for saying all of these questions can be ordered by ordinary people who know nothing about code. Right. And that's pretty clever when you get right down to it. So I had a lot of fun building that. And this is really just an example of that project. The project is much more complex and it deals with a, some electronic parts, basically, a kind of an expert system. And you can see this in others too. So here's a very simple math quiz. Um, we can run this guy again, pick the math quiz, next. And now it's going to empty the answers, of course. One plus one, um, well, it depends on who you ask. Sometimes it's three, <laughs> but normally it's two. Uh, nine times two, uh, I'm going to go with 18. And 150 minus 49, I think it's 101. And there it is. I got it 100% correct. And so here's a little flashcard thing. I know there's a new script block about flashcards, too which is, I, I'm pretty sure it's configurable and you can do some other cool things. This is not intended to be a competitor to that. It's intended to evoke the idea that script can exist almost anywhere, including in data. And right. so if we were to look at one of these guys, you'll see there's the question, right? Mm -hmm. And by the way, that is just doing a, a tease out of the first column, okay. right? So that it's just something I can completely use as a template. Mm -hmm. And here, I'm just asking for questions with four answers. And that's it. That's the only script that needs to run or be interpreted for each step. And there you have a really cool thing. You can get into some other cool things like an expert system. Um, year of the car, make of the car, model of the car, et cetera. And so uh, running this against that particular expert system gives us, as you would guess, simple questions that allow us to say, ah, the year is uh, 2019. It's a Chevy and it's a Silverado. What is the color? Oh, it's white, all right? And so this is not intended to show you any result, more to show you there's the array that it collected. Mm -hmm. End of story. Now you're in a position to use that array uh, data to do something with, to right. do you know some other kind of lookups in other tables and things like that. So this example was really geared to like, I don't know, crack your skull open yeah. and pour in <laughs> a really crazy uh, you know, notion that script blocks can interpret other script fragments. That is so interesting. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that, you know, that's how my mind works. It, as my wife says often, it's frightening to live with this guy. <laughs>
No, I, I think that's wonderful. I, because I, I find myself, I mean, it's not JavaScript, but I'm constantly, I mark up the data within Airtable as HTML. Like I use rollups and I create tables yeah. um, and then I can export that as like a PDF and it looks really nice and pretty, but this is kind Correct. of a similar way with using JavaScript yeah. in the field itself. Yeah. It's yeah. It's, it's a good way to think. You know, yeah. you're thinking more abstractly about how your data sets come together. Yeah. And, and that's all this, you know, experiment was designed to do. And um, 100% of the code is shared here. I'm pretty sure. I think I published it down awesome. here at the bottom. If I didn't, um, I, I'll make sure I get it into the, the show notes. So we're probably running low on time, right? So I don't want to, you know, tease everything. But let me show you another example uh, you know, we, we could go into the forecasting example, but forecasting is fully written about in depth here. Mm -hmm. um, we're using machine learning to say, hey, every time a new year of sales or a new month of sales comes online, we can forecast in a very, you know, deep way using a script block. And, and briefly, uh, the block for doing that um, it is pretty simple. The part that isn't so simple is what is the forecasting function? Mm -hmm. And that looks just ugly as heck, and I apologize for that, but that's basically a triple exponential smoothing algorithm. And, you know, our goal is not to go into that in depth. Our goal is to really understand, is it possible to do some of these very complex algorithms in script block? And there's, there's your answer. And so this is kind of a, a nice experiment. Uh, it works really well. It, it does, you know, it does really good forecasting. I've also done another example where I use script block to detect outliers. Mm -hmm. Outliers is an equally troubling thing because the definition of an outlier is a fleeting concept in machine learning, mm -hmm. but you can train a data set to learn, well, what is not right here? And you could use it to flag entries that should be reviewed. Uh, and you could do all that in a script block. I've written about that up on the forum as well. I think if you just you know, search for outliers, you'll probably find that one. But here's another one that is really getting me interested. Um, uh, disregard the data on the left for a minute, okay. and I'll run this guy. Um, this guy is called Dot. Again, coders shouldn't be inventing names. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it is uh, a tribute to the, the early days of DBase. In the early days of DBase, we have this concept of a dot prompt. Mm -hmm. And so everything was at a dot. And so I named this dot. Um, I think it's female. Um, <laughs> because she's smart. Uh, so yeah. I'm not pandering. I'm just saying uh, Dot is, is pretty intelligent. And so, for example, um, you'll notice, you know, it's running. So this is a, one of those unending blocks. It never is designed to end. Okay. Although I can tell it to just quit and it Dot has terminated, right? Uh -huh. So I'll go ahead and run it again. But I can also do things like, um, and I'm going to widen this just a little bit to, Give it a little. I guess I can't. I'm at the max. Um, we can do things like um, use, right? Um, or open. We'll use open. And so open by itself says, oh, you must want to open a table. Mm -hmm. And we're going to pick a table. And here I'm just going to pick, I'll pick uh, facets. And when I click next, uh, it says, oh, okay, it's open. There's 14 records. What would you like to do? Well, I could list it. So now I have a listing of all the fields, or I'm uh, sorry, all the records the 14 records, and of course it's defaulting to the primary field, but it's also linking. And if I click on one of these guys, I'm now um, in Airtable uh, 
with an error. So you can tell it's definitely a, a, a real demo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see if we refresh the page. Is it simply, I'm not sure why it's not thinking that. That looks right. That record and stuff looks good yeah. there. We'll try another one here in a minute. The beauty of this, of course, is, let's see if it does it differently. Yeah, it's not doing it for some reason. Hmm. Uh, it could be my, air, my, my table is actually kind of screwed up. Anyway, so Dot has this um, kind of intelligence about what's going on. And if, if I type use again, you know, it's going to say, hey, you know, get a different table. We'll just pull up AirDrop here. And if I say uh, list, I should get those records. And if I say fields, I should see all the fields. Oh, wow. And if I say something like um, uh, open, um, let's open tags. Oops. It doesn't like that. So it's saying, oh, you better, you better do it uh, with your mouse because you couldn't spell. <laughs> um, and and I'll uh, I'll demonstrate uh, the new clear function uh, slash C. I can also do uh, slash H. I can do pretty much anything with a slash command as well. So this was kind of patterned after a number of different projects, including the superhuman email environment that I use. That's the email system where they charge you thirty dollars to check your email every month. Oh my gosh! Uh, yeah, <laughs> thirty dollars a month, and uh, I'm a proud payer of um, thirty dollars just to check my email. You know who saw that coming? Uh, anyway, so yeah, and, and I love it. I, I want to pay that bill every month. We can do another podcast on that some other day. But anyway, so uh, Dot has this uh, unique ability. Let me scroll back up um, to say, all right, we're going to use uh, tags, and you notice that's all lowercase, but it opened it. All right. So the table name is uppercase. Dot is smart enough to know, you know, that hey, this is, you know, something that um, you know we can get access to and do something with. And mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and now just do a quick clear. And uh, now that I have, um, I also type tables, so it can give me the tables as well. So that's kind of nice. So yeah. let's do something like something. Dot would be really smart about. Let's say uh, so we're in tags right now. Mm -hmm. uh, let's make sure we're in tags. I'm going to say count. Let's count Mobotics in content. Four instances. And there's my records. So that's kind of cool. So yeah. imagine an interactive command line in a script block that has an intense knowledge about the data that you have in frame. Uh, I say in frame, I mean in browser. Right. Uh, it's basically, you know, the browser is aware of all these things and script blocks make it very easy for us to put our arms around that schema, around the data, around the records, and even around commands that say, hey, go count. How, how many times is this word in my database? Uh, you can do that in search, right? right. It's tedious though. Um, imagine now you wanted to say, you know, show me the count of these words in these fields and tell me the percentage of when it's used. This is a simple JavaScript computation at that point. And so um, I love it. That's, that's what Dot is about. Uh, I haven't published the source code for this yet, um, but I, I'm sure you know, there'll come a time where I'll share this. But it, again, it's a research tool. It's one of those cases where I said, you know, what if it were interactive? And what if it were command line driven so that you could do really fast things with regard to data science or research or you know, I'm just trying to locate something, right? Mm -hmm. um, right. It, it's not really search. It's a little bit different than search. Mm -hmm. uh, I've envisioned, you know, eventually when, you know, schema goes a little bit further and allows us to create fields, 
we should be able to create a table here. Yeah. Create a table, you know, and then list all the fields you need. Right. And then go through and with a grid, just check off, you know, what kind of types you want. And instead of taking forever to build a table, you're literally building a table in seconds. Absolutely. Uh, so, so I see DOT kind of as a productivity measure more than anything, mm -hmm. uh, a way for power users to really get into their data and say, you know, uh, replace um, content with any instance of whatever, with whatever instance you want. Right. And so you, you, could, you could do a command line kind of replacements and things like that. Um, anyway, I, I don't want to hold you up and, uh, you know, keep this podcast going so long. But those were some of the things that I thought, you know, would be compelling for people to, to think about and learn. I am certainly compelled. Good, really. good. I was shooting for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You've used those. I'm honestly, I'm a little blown away. Um, I think it's brilliant the way you've used those blocks and I can see a million different uses down the line for them. Yes. So, uh, bravo. And, and that, that underscores this guy right here, opportunistically in integrated, right? Those are two incredible words when put together and you think, yeah, blocks are designed, you know, to allow us to do these basic, simple things. I don't think so. I think blocks opens the sky. The, literally, the sky now becomes the limit because you have this juxtaposition between the actual data in memory, mind you. It's, it's in the browser. You don't have to think about going and getting the data like you do in a normal API environment. And it's sitting there right close to an environment that allows you to create an intelligence proxy. So, you know, bullet point one combined with bullet point three, oh my gosh. Um, the solutions that we can create from this to help users. Uh, it's phenomenal in my view. So. It certainly is. Yeah. Well, I'm super excited to see what comes next. It, it's scary. It is. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm involved, it'll be frightening at times. Um, oh, certainly got a lot to I often, I have, I often advise um, people who are thinking about hiring me. You should fear hiring me. Uh, there are cases where, you know, I can, I can run off a cliff really fast. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, you do a good job with it. I can tell this is, it's enjoyable. Uh, this is the fun I get, you know, from dabbling. Um, and I think Airtable is just wonderful. It's wonderful in terms of the sense that it really helps you keep your hands dirty in data. I think that's important for any kind of coders. They need to experience what their clients are experiencing. And I think it's important to uh, find ways to shape these tools in, to meet requirements that, you know, mentally you've dismissed. I mean, you've almost said, oh, it goes without saying you can't do that. <laughs> and those are the kind of projects where I think um, it, it becomes interesting to try to prove that, no, it doesn't go without saying. Uh, it, it, this is something you can do. These are things you can explore. So. Right. Uh, it does require some JavaScript knowledge. I know that's a stretch for a lot of users, uh, and we see it on the forums a lot. Uh, over time, they'll, you know, they'll come up to speed, and I think a lot of sharing is going to be really critical to help people you know, have that JavaScript light bulb come on, right? right? So what's your background in terms of JavaScript? How did you learn it? I'm actually entirely self-taught. Um, I started in a very niche environment where I am coding um, PDFs in Acrobat, uh, yep. Acrobat DC. So I use, you know, user inputs to inform other fields and I dynamically create right. pages and um, basically like I 
like the biggest uh, package I've worked on is a big truck sales um, uh, paperwork package. So they put in the year make model of the truck and then yep. they, they hit a button to generate and they get their bill of sale, they get their buyer's order, they get all the odometer yeah. statement and all that stuff. So I've, um, I've yeah, whenever you buy a car, that's the magic you see right. by the finance person, right? Right. That finance person is sitting there and they're doing a couple little taps and things and up pops 57 pages of yes. um, ways for you to sign your life away. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. It. Yes. Right. And, and in most states, uh, it's a very complex set of paperwork because of the UCC laws, right? Exactly. And I've, right. the, the one I built was, it's for three states because we're in my, it's my family business. Um, we own a truck dealership and we're in three states and we've got three wow. different sets of paperwork. So that right. all had to take into account, you know, what state, right. city, what, what forms they need for Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont. Yes. So yes, you're right. Yeah. The, you know, the nature of, of what you did there. I mean, you just described how much of a domain expert you had to be for those three states. Right. In, in terms of producing financial documents. Mm-hmm. And um, that makes you incredibly qualified to do that because <laughs> you now have, you know, JavaScript to go behind that. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you're self-taught, I think that's wonderful. Thank you. Um, yeah. I, I think that that's exactly how good JavaScript developers emerge in this industry. They are users, database people, domain experts, and then ultimately they say, oh, I've got to broaden my horizon just a tiny bit. Right. And that's why I think script blocks are just phenomenal as a teaching tool as well. Awesome. Yeah. I, I can't wait to dive in a little bit more. I haven't even had the time, but. I've- right. Have you noticed that? Ever since script blocks came out, I am just salivating over doing X and Y and Z in the script block environment and you know clients are saying no i need this this and this and so i i have to say no to my urge to go crazy with script blocks and you know even so you know i'm spending some night hour you know trying to get some of these blocks to run but Mm -hmm. it's a phenomenal environment that is fun there's no doubt about it agreed absolutely well bill it's been a pleasure thank you so much for talking with me today and before we let you go, uh, where can our listeners go to learn more about you and Global Technologies Corporation? Well, they can, they can go to globaltc.com. That's, you know, loosely described as a marketing site about some of the things I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, the show notes. The show notes have a link to this page that we're looking at here. Mm-hmm. And this page I'll continue to update if, you know, any changes occur. But I think the right place really to find uh, the intersection of my brain, which is, again, scary sometimes, <laughs> with Airtable is probably in the Airtable forum. Um, you know, at Bill French, you'll find everything that I've ever written. Some of it re- regrettable, but <laughs> <laughs> for the most part, I keep it clean. Uh, and I, I try to be honest. I try to, you know, if I'm wrong, I like to admit I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I try to be fair. Uh, most of the time, I'm not wrong. <laughs> just saying well I can attest to that <laughs> yeah yeah most of the time I'm not wrong yes. uh, but I, I do get it wrong sometimes but I'm willing to make it right too so that, that's kind of fun perfect alright well thank you so much Bill I hope you have a wonderful weekend you too keep in touch you bet have Thanks. a good one you yeah, too see ya, see ya.